This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. The following episode is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Travel Is Your Business. Today on the show, we have Jillian Morris, founder and CEO of Hitlist, an app that alerts you when there are cheap flights for places you want to go. Today, we're going to talk about how a personal challenge inspired what's become the largest flexible booking engine, how bootstrapping a travel startup actually ended up being a strength, and you might be surprised at what motivates travelers to make the purchase for their flight. That's our hit list for this episode, which starts right now. Hi, I'm Jillian Morris, the founder and CEO of Hitlist. And what I love about travel is how consistently surprising it is. You always go somewhere and have certain expectations, whether you've been to that place before or not. And you're always surprised there's always something new. From New York City, this is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry with John Matson, director at Voyager HQ, growth strategist Peter Crisdale, and Mark Rako. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm one of your hosts, John Matson. Uh, joining me today on my right is Peter Crisdale. Hey, Peter. Hey, everybody. How's Welcome it going? to the show. Good. How are, how are Thanks. You? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Anything Having new? fun. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And also to my other right is Mr. Mark Rako. You have two rights? I have two rights. Wow, I did not know that about you. <laughs> and two and no left. No left. He's no. just walking in a circle yeah. all the time. <laughs> hey, man. It's one way to live a life, you know. <laughs> and today we're here with Jillian Morris, the founder and CEO of Hitlist. Hey, Jillian. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. Glad here. you're here. Yeah. Super pumped to have you. Um, Let's take, uh, you know, as we usually start off our podcast here, uh, kind of a cruising altitude view of Hitlist, what you do and what you care about. Sure. So quite simply, Hitlist is an app you can download and it alerts you when there are cheap flights to places you want to go. So you can put in any trip that you want to take, whether it's just I want to go to Tokyo anytime it's cheap or I need to book tickets home for Thanksgiving or to South by. Um, And we continuously go, we monitor about 50 million flights worth of data a day. And when we find good deals, we try and match them up and we alert you and hope to save you a lot of time and money and get you traveling more. You've done that for me multiple times. So oh, tell me more. Oh, I, wait, I love user stories. I think that's good. Let's, Let's have an illustration. Let's hear the user story. Oh, yeah. Come on. I mean, um, I was looking for a vacation spot. I just needed to get away. Um, my girlfriend and I were like super tired and we wanted to try something different. So we looked at weekend getaways using your discovery part, your explorer mm-hmm. part, um, and found that Quebec City was an easy getaway for like less than 250 bucks each round trip. Like super fast. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Quebec is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, okay. totally. How it's far been... in advance did you book it? Like the week before. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. We That's were like, nice. let's just do it. That definitely seems to be the use case for Hitless, right? Well, I, I mean, right. it's no, funny. No, like, seriously. So we, most of the deals in our app are for the next 90 days. Hmm. Um, but the average number of days that, uh, the days out that people book is nine days. Um, 
but plus like the the range is just absurd so um it's usually not for this weekend but for next weekend if you want to think of that it that way but um it's it it can vary a lot so we've talked a lot about this on past shows but do you feel like the um today's consumer is making decisions like sooner before they actually purchase than say like 20 years ago oh absolutely yeah i i think the um lead time it's a um, stereotype that millennials are really bad at planning. They're also poor. Actually, it's not a stereotype. It's true. Um, and they're getting used to this on-demand lifestyle. And I think we definitely play into that and, um, if anything, help accelerate that trend. And that's okay. Um, because we make it really easy and really accessible to find good deals, not necessarily last minute, but, uh, that is one of our strengths. Gotcha. So, um, are you guys a online travel agent? Are you a meta search engine? How are you actually structured? So I don't think we're, we're not a search engine. You can't code a hit list right now. Maybe in the future you will be able to, but you can't go to hit list and say, I need to book a ticket from here to Las Vegas, uh, on November 25th. And how much does it cost? You can say, I want to book a ticket from here to Las Vegas. Are there any good deals? And we might say yes, we might say no, but you can watch it. And maybe in two weeks time, there's a good deal. The price drops, Mm -hmm. we send it to you, you book. Um, So we're not really, you know, in the same category, but, you know, in the sense that we don't facilitate, we don't process the booking ourselves. We're not an OTA. We're more similar to a meta search in that we refer you to book with Cheapo Air or Expedia or AmericanAirlines.com. So like a meta discovery engine. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually no. I, that's the term I like to use is okay, a discovery nice. engine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Now the use case that was kind of discussed here mostly was uh, people who are booking within a certain period of time, that nine day period or whatever, mm-hmm. which means either people that are being just kind of frank here that are either kind of don't plan ahead, or people that are are making decisions in the last moment just because of their you know living by the you know by the edge of their seat. Um, so my question is when you get someone and they've done that, they have that last minute decision, but maybe that's not how they normally operate. How do you recover them and and make them a repeat customer? Well, hopefully the experience is one that's pleasurable and in general travel is. So, um, if you use hit list once, I think that's, uh, you know, hopefully we've got you. It's the question is getting people to use hit list for the first time. I think customer acquisition is harder than customer retention. So you're, you're acquiring customers to, to fill a pain point. And one of those pain points is, you know, if, if you need to make sure that you're a last minute customer, we're going to be the place that you need to go to be sure that you're getting the right deal. I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm hesitant to get put in this box of a okay. last minute thing. Well, good. I'm I really, we're talking I, about so it. I, I think hit list serves a certain use case really, really well. Um, it's when you are, uh, it, it, well, actually it's easier to explain it in terms of what it's not. So existing flight search engines are perfectly optimized. If you know exactly where and when you're traveling and you need to book right now. And that's the way the entire industry works. It's predicated on those three assumptions. But I would say an incredible portion of travel isn't that way. So either um, it's flexible date. Maybe it's like, I know I want to go to New Orleans for a weekend at some point to visit my brother. I don't have a brother in New Orleans, but uh, anyway, imagine I did. I just want to go to New Orleans. You do now. You know, uh, 
but I want to monitor any weekend. And I don't want to be searching all the time for every possible weekend to New Orleans. So that's mm-hmm. the um, that's one use case. There's also, you know, I know I want to travel the last week of October and I'm interested in a variety of destinations or I'd just like to go somewhere warm. Um, and that's like, you know, perfect in our wheelhouse. We're really good for that. But then there's also the third thing is booking right now. So existing search engines make you book on the spot, right? Um, And that's really a non-optimal way to plan your travel. Uh, If you're planning at all in advance, like you know you have a trip coming up, maybe it's, um, you know, your friend's getting married in London the third weekend of November. I think the standard use case right now is you go to Kayak or you go to the search engine of your choice and you say, uh, and you search for it and you're like, oh, it seems a little expensive. Maybe the, maybe the price will drop. Realistically, you forget about it until like two weeks before you pay through the nose. And that is just so suboptimal. So I think people pay, honestly, conservatively pay 40 to 50 percent more for flights than they should. And if they were booking at the optimal time rather than just when they have time to search, they could save a lot of money. And then if you're flexible on date and destination, you can save even more. I realize this may be part of the experience of hit list, but what, what is, uh, how do you judge the optimal time? Not you. How does the customer draw determine and say, okay, I've been waiting, wait, wait, it's now. (laughs) How do they know that tomorrow it's not, how how do you, uh, how do you drive that purchase so that they actually know that this is that moment? So in the app, we have a few things that are useful for determining that. So we have a price graph of what, um, you know, what prices are like to any given destination over time. So you can see like, okay, average price for July is $870 for this trip to London um, from San Francisco. But, uh, and there's a flight for $500. So I should get that right now. But if you're traveling in November, maybe a $500 flight isn't actually that good. You should wait for the $300 flight. Um, And so there's, there's that price graph. And then we actually, each individual deal we show a, a bar where we say this is average, good, great, or spectacular. So mm. you can kind of make your own judgment, but I think certain people are just happy with a good deal, certain people, but you know, when it's spectacular, we see a much higher percentage of those booked. Yeah. My use case is a lot like John's, which is mm-hmm. I just want to go somewhere and I want it to be under $200. Yeah, yeah. Know? No, that's that's great. It's great that's for like... vacation planning, too, in that same instance. Because if you're looking like, I just want to go in June, I don't care where. That's mm-hmm. like you said. Uh, it's I mean, that's awesome. a perfect use case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, does, is that a good you know, bad, poor, spectacular, or whatever the terms mm-hmm. were, uh, range? Is that a fixed thing, or does that change based on market need? or pricing in general. So in other words, can you up your purchases by adjusting where the meter on spectacular is? Well, um, we're always keeping in mind our customers' best interests. We're not trying to drive more sales. <laughs> no, of course, just, of course. I didn't mean um, to insinuate otherwise. No, no, no. It's, uh, but um, yeah, it is, it's totally dynamic. So we're continuously, I mean, at this point, we've been collecting fair data for three years. So some of it is based on historical fair data. Some of it is comparative to the rest of the pool of available deals. But um, obviously, you know, something that's over the Thanksgiving holidays the price that's spectacular is going to be higher than something that's in the dead of January when not as many people are traveling. So, um, you know, we're, we've got a very involved machine learning algorithm that's continuously recalculating the thresholds. And it's different for every date pair, for every city pair. So ultimately, you're competing for the same, um, 
you're competing for the same seats or to be able to sell the same seats as a lot of big OTAs or search engines. Do you feel like, uh, do you feel like you are the tip of the spear? Do you feel like other, uh, Priceline companies or Expedia companies are going to start going this way? I think we were already starting to see it. Um, Google introduced uh, Google Flights introduced a great desti- flexible destination finder. Um, there are a lot of things, a lot of product decisions that I wouldn't have made. I still think that ours is better <laughs> in certain ways. But no, I'm I'm also not saying that Hitlist, the product right now, encapsulates the entire market. There are sure. certain things, whether it's for business travel or when you need to be super specific about your times or you're booking something next week and you just need to do now. Like We're one part of the ecosystem. I think we're optimized to satisfy probably around 30 to 40% of travel bookings um, right now, and we can expand into others as we as we gain scale. So that's a great segue to growth. I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit over, you know, since you started the company, how have you seen your growth change and what have been some of the biggest levers you've been able to pull? So we've grown almost completely organically. Um, we've not spent significant money on user acquisition, and that's frankly pretty unusual in the travel space. Very, yeah. um, and it's also one of the reasons that we've been able to not raise that much money because we've been able to, I think we've created a product that does have a use case and that is also pretty delightful to use and people share. And so our organic growth rate continues to go up. It's not, you know, we haven't had hockey stick moments, but when you just kind of compound growth over a number of years, it ends up we're around a million users now. I I want to put a pin in that real quick because that's the first time I've ever heard someone publicly be proud of the fact that they didn't raise a lot of money. <laughs> really? I, you sure? Yeah. I mean, really? I mean, I, I think I've had other private conversations where people say that. Oh, but publicly, you mean? Yeah, because mm-hmm. what it means is you didn't have to sell your ownership stake in the company for cash, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and listen, I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to say part of that was our choice at certain eras, and part of it was because we couldn't raise money in certain uh, at certain times. And I think there's a lot to be said about why. I actually gave a presentation on why investors hate travel and why they're wrong, <laughs> okay. um, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah, maybe a conversation we, we can have in the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, with that, it might be a great time to go to break. And when we get back, we're going to take a deeper dive into the madness behind the product that is Hitlist and the mastermind, Jillian Morris. Hey, everybody, this is Vikram Iyer, former advisor to President Barack Obama. Have you been opening your Twitter account or Facebook feeds or even just talking to families and friends and wondering what the heck is going on in this country? Well, it's not as bad as you think, but we're going to unpack that for you. Join me at the American Enough podcast on the Mount Media Network as we unpack the policies, executive orders, and daily kerfuffles that are shaping not just this administration, but the modern face of America's politics. Episodes available at AmericanEnoughPodcast.com and everywhere the best podcasts are found. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. 
Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. So we just scratched the surface on growth. And during the break, Peter was bringing up something pretty interesting about, you know, the history of Hit List and where it started. So maybe if you want to dive in. So Jillian, when you and I met, it was almost five years ago. Um, you were you were in the travel industry, but you had started with a different concept. And I wonder if you can kind of start there with us and tell us how this has evolved over time. Sure. Uh, well, it's funny because I think of my beginning in the travel industry like seven, eight years ago. In 2010, I started, I was doing some consulting work in the travel space and I started keeping a spreadsheet of every travel startup that came across my radar and what I thought they were doing right and wrong. And I tried to interview as many founders as I could and read a lot of industry news. And at a certain point in 2012, I just thought, you know, I have to start building because um, that's how I'm going to learn the fastest. And so I, in retrospect, the idea was very poor, <laughs> um, but you know it was a great learning experience. So it was called Trip Common, mm -hmm. and it was basically uh, Peter. You live in New York, and I live in San Francisco, and we're best friends, and we want to meet up and go skiing somewhere. What's the cheapest ski destination both of us can get to? I think it's a great idea. It might not be a business, yeah, but I like well, the idea. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's something that definitely has a niche use case, but the technical complexity of doing it, all of the expectations to manage around travel. Anyway. We, we gave it a, a good try, though. So when we met, we were still, I think we were around seven or eight months in on doing that, and we were getting nowhere, you know. Um, and it was interesting because the, the team had also been, I mean, we were doing all this from the ground up, and um, the team had been changing a little bit, and we decided a few months after that to do a little kind of internal hackathon and reset. And just, we spent about a month and a half going through different ideas and doing one or two week sprints and building different things. The funny thing was this entire time, like for years, I had been emailing friends when I saw cheap flight deals. Mm -hmm. And then I had gotten to the point where, and it started because I was living in Turkey and everyone said they wanted to come and visit me and then no one did. But then when I sent them cheap flight deals to Turkey, they would actually book them. So <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, there's something here to having, you know, someone who knows you, who knows the market, who you trust saying, this is a good deal. You should buy it. Totally. And, and most people would go the concierge route at that point. Right. Um, but that's not scalable. Right. Um, and I was already finding so first of all, and then my friends would be like, oh, I need to book tickets to my friend's wedding in London. Can you let me know? Or, uh, oh, I, I really want to go to Austin someday. Let me know when there are cheap flights to Austin. So um, <laughs> instead of going and doing all the searching myself, I actually um, learned how to code using Code Academy and then wrote this scraper that went on kayak and did like 200 searches every morning, dropped it into a Google spreadsheet, and then I just programmed it to basically show up in green if it was a good deal. And then um, and then I would manually go through the spreadsheet and be like, oh, okay, there's a good deal for John, and like email like, hey, there's your cheap flight to Austin. So basically, as opposed to people, uh, companies that come from someone saying, I had this problem, this must be a problem for other people, let me invent something and make a business out of it to solve the problem. You literally created the basis of your business to solve your own damn problem. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to spend all my time searching for <laughs> white awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so, so like, at a certain point, and then we were thinking we wanted to do something in mobile. And so one of these things that we did was um, a sort of, also Tinder had just come out. And so we, we thought that swiping interface was really cool. So we were like, how about you add cities that you want to go to a list? And so it show you a pretty picture of a city, and you swipe right if you want to go there, left if you don't. And then I'm like, and this is great. And then we can just email them the deals when they come up and I can use my existing system. And then it was like, oh, wait, like my existing system has like lots of users. And um, and we were calling it hit list internally because that was what I had been calling my thing. And then we're like, what should we call this publicly? Is it Trip Common 2 or something? <laughs> like, <it's a> terrible <laughs> name. Revenge um, of the yeah. Trip Common. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> trip commons it was it was like it was like you know hotel tonight really suffers because half the people think it's hotels tonight right um and there are all these yeah trip common trip commons whatever trip common was a terrible name um hotel tonight is a marginally better name still think they could do better love the company anyway everyone can spell hit list i dig a rest yeah everyone can spell hit list but whenever i'm at an event and start writing it out and i write h-i-t-l you always see people it's just sort of like <laughs> where is this going yeah. um anyway um so yeah that that was the origin of hit list uh and we started building this. So we, that was in August of 2013. We started building the sort of Tinder for cities hit list. And, uh, what we found is we built this really simple app and it ended up just kind of exploding. Um, people really loved the Tinder interface. Um, we got a ton of interactions. Um, we ended up having around 25,000 downloads in a, in a relatively short amount of time, which contrast with trip common. We'd been working for a year on it and we'd gotten like 9,000 people to ever visit the site, much less interact with it, much less anything like this. If, if my memory serves, I think you were featured in the Apple app store at some point, right? Not until about six months later. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was, that was a beautiful thing. That was a uh, <laughs> hundred and 104,000 downloads in seven well, days. That's, that's crazy. Phenomenal. That's yeah. Wow. So let me ask you, um, I, it appears to me and correct me if I'm wrong, that this is a mobile only app. Yes. Primarily, Primarily, yes. So here's my question. Why is that the decision? Now, I totally am aware of the direction, you know, it's a lot of the companies are mobile first or, or just so many people are doing their commerce through mobile. But I know just from a personal experience, when I search for travel uh, options, I, I never, ever do it on my phone unless it's a one-off. Like if I'm actually sitting there and comparing things, I've got like several tabs open and I'm looking back and forth. Is this mm -hmm. better? And, and I know this is one of the solutions to that, but I'm saying I'm not thinking mobile at all. This is like a project I'm sitting down at my desk to do. I'm not doing it on the subway. Sure. And that's more common like what I think most people's travel experiences are like when they have intent to travel, right? But if they're discovering yeah. where they're trying to go based on yeah. at some point they want to yeah. go there. So, so here's my question. Mm -hmm. I guess my question, well, other than is why that decision? Um, um, and what does that say about where you're trying to future pace the right. company and everything? But also, um, where does this play into someone's planning versus catching them uh, in, a, in, a, in a sort of exploratory emotional moment? Yeah. Well, I think if you... 
um, we're not necessarily, we're always looking at where is this company in, in five years time. And the trends are all very clear. Mobile commerce is growing, you know, 20% year on year, and it's going to continue for a long period of time. It's with you all the time. Um, it's definitely, it's eating up more and more hours of your day. Um, and I think the reason that people don't enjoy booking on mobile is because there isn't a good mobile experience. And we would love to be the people that nail that. Um, and that is where our energy is focused. And, you know, so there's this greenfield advantage right now because there's no really dominant player in the travel mobile space. And we, we would like to be that. Um, and we have come at it from that angle, imagining what does this look like if it's a mobile experience and, you know, it's with you all the time and you have the opportunity to, uh, to, to act at a moment's notice. You can take advantage of those fares that aren't going to necessarily be available in the minutes that you decided to sit down, let's be realistic in the hours you decided to sit down and search for your travel experience. Um, it's also going to be somewhat concierge. So we do focus on trying to get to know you better. And so the, the alerts you get are different from everyone else. Everyone, we are building a profile of you. We see what you interact with. And that all goes into an incredibly complex process to get to know you better and better. Because we're always trying to get back to that. Remember, it was like me sending you an email and you trusted me because I was your friend. You know, we want to get back to that experience where this mobile app can know you so well that we can say, um, we know you weren't planning to travel next weekend, but it looks like you have some free time in your schedule. There's this amazing deal to LA. You have a bunch of friends there. A band that you like is playing there. Here's a great hotel to stay at. Why don't you travel? Um, and I think when you give people that customized an experience, I think it's, there's a good chance they'll say yes. I think a big part of that, and I may not be the average consumer, I don't know. Um, a big part of that for me is that you're just making it easy. Right. You know, and it's become with so much competition around getting eyeballs and, and having a fare that's $3 lower than the other website. It's, I would so much rather spend five minutes booking through Hitlist or Hopper or some of the other great apps that are out there um, than spending the two hours that it would take to assure myself that I got the lowest possible price. Mm -hmm. There's so much price pressure now, I feel like. I'm almost guaranteed to get a low price because there's so many different people competing to offer me the lowest price. So in a way, I'd rather just pay the extra $10 more or whatever it is to make it easier for me. I, Interesting. I, I think like, I, I don't know if you agree with me that there's a pressure in that direction. I think that people will pay a premium for convenience, for sure. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think everyone will. I think people are still looking for a good deal. But we also, we we try and steer away from when we're, um, talking about this, we don't talk about cheap. We don't talk about um, discount, right. things like this. We talk about deals um, because it's about being good value. So it's not right. necessarily the absolute rock, but the you know, it's not the absolute cheapest beach that you can fly to this weekend. It's uh, a beach that is very cheap for the value that you're going to get out of it. Right. Hmm. And now that you've grown past even the interface where you were swiping left and right and on mm -hmm. these destinations have you seen like you know people interact with the app extremely differently like what does the direction of hitless look like next if it's not in that same kind of interface um well so we pivoted away from the the tinder interface mm -hmm. 
pretty early on. What we found that was really great for initial user interaction because it was really fun to look through all these pretty pictures of places you could go. But once you'd actually swiped through everything, and there are only so many cities in the app. We have at this point about 3,000, and that's a lot. But um, I, did, uh, I did actually get to the end. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Um, that's the thing, which was incredible. And we had, I mean, at the time, we only had a couple hundred. Um, but, you know, we had insane amount of data around what people were interested in and all that. But um, there was no real reason to come back. Um, yeah, you'd come back if you got a flight alert, but there was nothing to keep you engaged with the app longer term. And so... Um, we've moved on to this idea of having sort of lists and collections that update and also um, specific trips. So this was actually a big innovation was narrowing it down to uh, specific date or destination ideas like getaway for Labor Day weekend or something like this. Um, mm -hmm. So you can come in and have that targeted inspiration. And when we introduced that, what we call the trips concept, so tri you know, there's one that's just I want to go to New York someday. Um, or there's, I want to go to, you know, for a long weekend in Mexico. That's a trip that you can follow. Mm -hmm. So it has some combination of date and destination, more details. You're further down the funnel. Um, and so that's the content that we prioritize showing now. And is there some level of sponsorship there? Do you have um, paid packages or anything like that? We have done some very small experiments with that, but on the whole, no. Um, and it's definitely something, uh, even with some of the experiences that we do, it's in our best interest to show it only to the people who are going to be interested in those types of places. So we try and really narrow down and see like, okay, we think this group of people are going to be interested in this trip. Um, and we show it just to them rather than sort of blasting everyone. Um, so business model-wise, uh, is your revenue really around affiliate commissions? Definitely. I think the greatest thing about travel is that um, affiliate booking revenue, first of all, can be pretty high. Mm -hmm. Less in flights, more in hotels, but right. that's also you know debatable depending on, on where you are in the funnel. Um, and... Uh, for some reason, my train of thought just derailed. What was your question again? Uh, I don't remember. What, as, a, as a revenue model, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. would you right. say an affiliate no. is? Um, so the great thing is affiliate booking, everyone's incentives are aligned because we're just trying to get you a flight, a deal that you're excited about and that you buy. Um, advertising, all these other things can be a little bit more distorting. So yes, we do make some money from sponsored posts, um, we do also try and offer, you know, good tips of other travel products that might be interesting to our users. Um, but we're always experimenting and trying to make sure, you know, make sure it's good value add. Is, but most of it is uh, affiliate booking. Yeah. In those sponsored posts, is it mostly the actual events or is it more like DMOs and destinations that would be more of a target so there? We've done, uh, we've done both. Mm. Um, I think destinations are a really obvious use case. So this is something where um, people are coming to Hitlist to decide where and when they want to travel. So if you're, um, if you're a destination management organization, if you're Visit Jamaica or something like this, the two traditional places that you have to advertise are either, um, you know, in print in, or, or in, you know, in media. Mm -hmm. um, and that people are really far from the transaction at that point. They're just kind of browsing. Um, and, or to advertise with an OTA or something like that. But 
most people don't go to Expedia saying, oh, I'm thinking of going to the Caribbean this winter. Let me, you know, search randomly a whole bunch of destinations. So usually they're either too far from the booking or too close to the booking. And so Hitlist really sits in the middle. So it's a really ideal place to advertise if you're a destination. Um, and so we've definitely done some work and I think that's a really promising model to explore and, and help destinations also target the right people and, you know, get good visitors. I've always thought, so, um, you've probably seen their absurdly cheap flights to Iceland, right? Yes. Right. I actually don't know this for a fact, but I'd be pretty certain that there's some level of government sponsorship going into WOW and Iceland Air, mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense because, yeah, people are like, oh, my God, it's 229. Excuse my language. Oh, my goodness. It's 220. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're okay. Yeah. Um, oh, screw that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's $229 from San Francisco to Iceland. I, I can't tell you how many people I know who are flying to San Fran to, to Iceland mm. now because of this. And then, of course, you go and like one dinner is like $70. Um, <laughs> it's like completely distorted. But they're getting people to their destination. So I, I've often thought this, um, like going to a destination being like, here, subsidize. Um, you want someone to show up and they're going to spend $2,000 plus in your destination subsidize the flights basically like i mean ideally they would do this directly with the airlines but airlines are just like so slow and so difficult to work <laughs> yep. with um so you know maybe come to us and be like you know basically <laughs> give us the money so that we can subsidize 100 flights to jamaica and instead of them being 229 dollars, they're 129 dollars, and then and then you're going to have all these people who are freaking out because they're $129 yeah. flights to Jamaica. Then they're going to come and they're going to spend $2,000 there. That's a great, you know, we, we Iceland, get some cut. Iceland yeah. is an interesting example because the island and the city, Reykjavik, I mean, the island is so small, they're pretty much the same thing as, as far as a tourist is concerned. Um, it's interesting, though, when you start to look at, say, Turkey, because mm -hmm. you mentioned Turkey. Um, there are a lot of different places that you could visit in Turkey and you could potentially have... Um, different destinations or different cities sponsoring you as opposed to uh, a country like Iceland is well equipped to sponsor an airline or sure. to subsidize an airline. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you have different destination management organizations for cities or provinces as well. So, you know, I could imagine doing a deal with, you know, the South of France or something sure. for flights into or Nova Scotia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder how much it's ever been explored. Like it could, all right, so if you're, if you're flying to New York from San Francisco, there's going to be a, uh, there might be a meal on the flight, let's mm -hmm. say. I don't know if that's true, but somewhere that you would have a meal, let's say. Yeah. Wouldn't it make sense for the meal to be something to do with some place that you might visit in New York? Mm -hmm. And that company could work with the airline to have food that inspires you to go to that place and get a fuller meal when you're there. Yeah, I mean, the opportunity for that, those kind of synergistic sponsorship or, or partnership mm -hmm. collaborations not only could offset the cost of, of having an experience or even just the cost of buying flights, for example, but, but it, it could actually, you know, up the ante in terms of what someone's willing it's to do when they get there. Place to yeah. advertise. Yeah. You know who does that actually really well is JetBlue. So mm -hmm. JetBlue's mm -hmm. Mint class has partnered directly with um, providers and caterers in okay. a lot of places. And yeah, I, I guess think I didn't it's know that great... never having flown Mint class. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> neither have I. <laughs> but uh, I just admire JetBlue as a company a yeah. lot. I think they're they're very innovative. 
Yeah. So I'm sorry. Just need to get what Cat's are, Deli on this yeah, on the uh, New York flight. I know, right? Yeah. So can you imagine? I mean, just those size of those sandwiches just being loaded on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to check your sandwich because it's too large. <laughs> um, well, one thing I know is a little sidestep, but you talked a little bit about funding and travel, and mm-hmm. you give a talk. You've given a talk on, uh, you know, why investors hate travel and why they shouldn't. Yeah. So. I'd love to you know, kind of explore that a little bit because yeah, obviously that's something that we see at Voyager and are trying to help you know, startups navigate as well. Um, what, what's your experience with that? What do you think is, has it, has it changed at all since you were first starting out? Yes, absolutely. So what's interesting is I kind of got into travel at the wrong time. There was this flood mm-hmm. of investment into travel startups in the sort of solo-mo era. Um, for those of you who haven't been in tech that long, that was like 2011, 2012. Everyone was obsessed with social, local, mobile oh, right. um, yeah. apps uh, in the same way that everyone's obsessed with um, blockchain AI now. And, and they were all obsessed with VR last year. And, right. and you know, these trends are always a thing. But um, there was, it's great, actually. If you look at Focusrite's state of travel startups survey, there's this huge boost of funding um, in 2011, 2012. And we came in after that when everyone was, when most of those companies were failing and investors were really burned out on travel. <laughs> um, so in, in general, though, I mean, I think travel is probably the category where you get the most investors who say categorically, I will not invest in travel. They've either been burned themselves or they've seen um, friends get burned. And it is true that especially in the early stage, there are so many people, I think the profile of someone who wants to start a company uh, is not very similar to the profile of the average traveler. And so a lot Mm. of people who want to start companies are super adventurous, probably, frankly, upper income um, they have more disposable time and income than the average traveler, and they want to build a product for themselves. And they don't really pay attention to how the majority of the market travels, which is the average American takes 2.9 trips a year um, that are over 100 miles from their house. So they're usually driving for a percentage of those two out of the 2.9 are to visit family and friends, usually mm. for holidays. So that's you have basically less than one chance a year for <laughs> a leisure trip. And yet so many of the travel startups end up being targeted on these supposed leisure. Jet setters. Um, yeah. Right. Um, digital nomads as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I think you see a lot of people getting into travel startups for the love of travel rather than any knowledge of the industry or knowledge of a real market problem that needs to get solved. Mm. Um, so that's one of the reasons that I think investors hate it is because they're not, you know, the right people aren't necessarily, um, or the right businesses aren't getting built. So you're saying there are not a lot, of, a lot of good VC deals in travel in the first place. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. Um, it's also, there's like this thing, there's like a, a sort of sad running joke, but like there was this, oh, Now I feel, I almost feel bad saying this, but there was this series of time when there was basically a whole bunch of early Facebookers or just like people who were early on at a lot of the unicorn tech companies who all decided to start travel startups and they knew nothing about travel (laughs) and all of their ideas. I could have told them, you know, because I have this spreadsheet I referred to earlier, I've been tracking all the travel startups since 2010, all the ones that I thought were doing something interesting. And there are huge trends you see of things that people try that never go anywhere. And every single one of these things that these 
bright, smart people were starting were in those categories. They weren't actually solving the meaty um, problems in, in the space. So, um, you know, there isn't a lot of good deal flow in travel. I'll acknowledge that. Why I think investors should be excited about it is that the opportunities are still so, so, so large. And if you can find the good deals, they're very, very good deals. Um, so it's a really tremendous, if you've been in one of the good travel startups that's exited in the last five years, you've made quite a lot of money. And if you look at the, I mean, if you count Uber as a travel company, Uber and Airbnb, basically two of the highest valued private companies um, in the world are, are in the travel space. Um, 27% of all dollars spent online are spent on travel. I mean, that's absurd, yeah. you know, of all e-commerce. That stat's slightly out of date. It's from 2014. Honestly, it's probably more now. Um, mm. It's a really high ticket purchase. And um, you have all of these like longstanding incumbents. Oh, also fun. Another fun fact. Priceline is the third largest e-commerce company in the world after Amazon and Alibaba. Mm. Like no one really <laughs> realizes <laughs> yeah, that. Totally. It's a $90 billion company. Um, and yet there's been so much stasis. And I think there's so much opportunity for new business models to come in, especially ones that capitalize on mobile. Um, I think the other thing that's really important is traveler identity and personalization. So knowing someone's travel history and being able to provide them better context. Um, because right now you show up to Expedia, Kayak, Cheapo Air, whatever, you're probably virtually unknown to, you know, no one signs into those sites. So you show up and you do a search and they just have that one data point and maybe some cookies that they've managed to collect. But if you can know more about a person, if you can know this person's been to Paris five times and they are much more likely to want to go to Paris again. Um, if you know this person has traveled internationally a lot, this person travels on these routes, um, there's so much that can be done with that data to build a better agent experience, assisted experience. It's so true. You can even change the order in which you present content in a search. Absolutely. If you know people are inclined to want to sit in a certain place or they're inclined to uh, be more likely to buy luggage or something like that. And as people, as more and more purchases go mobile, where space is so constrained, that becomes so much more important. Hmm. So would you say, and this might be a, a final thought, but... Would you say that, um, you know, the, the successful travel startups aren't the ones who ride these trends necessarily, but the ones who beat the drum, you know, the, the, the kingpins of Priceline and Expedia and Fairportal and all these companies are the ones who just focused on the actual need of the market uh, rather than the fanfare of whatever the trend was? I, I mean, I think it's worth keeping an eye on the trends and thinking mm -hmm. about what the future could look like and if it makes sense implementing it. Uh, implementing it. Um, honestly, I think Priceline and Expedia have thrived. And by Priceline, we really mean booking.com, right? <laughs> it's like 90% of their revenue. Um, uh, I think they've thrived, frankly, because they were first movers and good mm -hmm. executors. And I think they're really great for, again, that use case of I know exactly where and when I'm traveling and I need to book right now. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a wide open space for all the other types of travel out there that are not being met optimally right now. Cool. Priceline as a collection of brands also seems to me uh, as a collection that's been moving forward and, and constantly moving to new innovations since the 
20 years that it started. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean that, I don't mean that in sort of like all these uh, like innovative new technologies. I mean, uh, I think of Priceline, I think of Name Your Own Price. And I think of them mm-hmm. kind of owning the market and sure, certainly owning my mom's mind share of the market. Um, because she would always immediately go to Priceline because she says, it doesn't matter what everyone else has. Like, I get to put in $100 and just see, just see if something's available. Oh, uh, all right. But after challenge. that, yeah. what have they done? They've acquired other acquired companies who did the same thing. That, <laughs> yeah. right. that are actually have huge markets. Yeah. So that's, that's compelling. So that might be a great time to take a break. Um, but we're not done yet. We got one more segment. And after the break, we'll be back with some personal questions with Off the Beaten Path. Uh oh. <laughs> if you're a business decision maker, you should listen to this. The show you're listening to is produced by Mouth Media Network, a podcasting network focused on the business of lifestyle. Because of our team's background and deep connections with brands, influencers, and ecosystems, we offer a tremendous opportunity to bring your company's message and products in front of decision makers from several verticals, including fashion, beauty, travel, materials and textiles, health and fitness, and lifestyle. To explore opportunities to partner, email us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to Travel Is Your Business. It's time for personal questions with... Off the Beaten Path. That's right. Off the Beaten Path. Personal questions with a travel theme. Asked randomly, and we decide the order of who asks the questions with announcements from our favorite airline personnel. So, that is... Paging passenger Peter Crysdale... Peter Crysdale, please report to gate two. P-tier. Oh, all right. Oh. P-tier. <laughs> that well, was, that was nice of you, John. So, Julian, I know Hit List isn't just about last-minute travel, but my question is, what is the most last-minute trip that you've ever taken with the least planning? <laughs> um, well, when I was living in... Uh, Istanbul, I was a consultant and I had a lot of, um, flexibility and I got a call from one of my, um, the, the wife of one of my clients who had, I ended up becoming friends with an amazing, amazing woman. She was like, we're down on the coast of Turkey and, uh, you should come right now. (laughs) And I literally put a bathing suit in my purse, drove to the (laughs) airport and went to join her. I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have anything planned, but also um, inter-country flights in Turkey are super cheap. So I knew that like the maximum I was going to be paying was like 50, 60 bucks. And I was like, this is worth it if I just even go down for the night. I think I ended up spending (laughs) two or three days there, Um, but it was great. Yeah, it was a a different era of my life, actually. (laughs) Attention passengers, would Mark Rako report to the ticket counter? Thank you. That's you, Mark. All righty. Jillian, um, so I, I understand when you own a business, there very rarely, if you're a responsible business person, is a day when you say, this is it, my business is successful and I'm rich and I, you know, I don't have to work anymore. It's always like it could fold tomorrow. It's like, it's oh, even if you're really successful and doing a great job, it's always like 
you know, it never stops and there's never the comfort moment and you're still always living like it was startup life and all this stuff. But when there comes a moment when you actually have reached a certain level of success, for a lot of people, there's that one moment when they, they just take one moment to enjoy it. So what was the moment that you decided your business was successful? If you have to any degree. And what did you do to mark that moment or celebrate or buy yourself? Doesn't have to be a Bentley or anything, but it could be, you know, you, you, maybe you finally bought that blouse you'd had your eye on for a long time that you just couldn't bring yourself to do. Or you went on a trip to Paris or you, you know, you finally went and spent time with your folks or, you, mm-hmm. you know, you had a big dinner with champagne or, you know, whatever it well, is. So what'd you do? Um, I I don't feel like we're there yet. I do think there's definitely, there've been some milestones where I've, I think I didn't really know what I was getting into when I started the business. And then I started to realize that, especially when I took the first money in from strangers and also from some friends and knew that I had that responsibility that I needed to get this, I I needed to make a return. And, um, then I just basically was living in abject terror. I was like, am I just going to waste these people's money, waste my own time and money? What have I um, done? What have I done? (laughs) And that was like basically over a year of just terror. Uh, And then I think when we passed 100,000 downloads and it just sort of lent at this sense of legitimacy where I was like, well, at least at this point, I can prove that we've built something of some note that enough people have found useful. That's actually a lot of people. There are a hundred thousand people. And now there are like a million people around the world that have taken the time to put this, install this software on their phones and more who have used our Chrome extension, all this other stuff. So, um, I, I always remember that moment feeling like I could actually sleep a little bit more again. Um, I still feel like I have this incredible drive to want to succeed massively, um, both in, for me, success is bringing this product to market, getting people traveling more, um, and changing the way that consumer behavior works. And I assume that that will also be incredibly remunerative for both me and my investors, my investors and me. Sorry. I like good grammar. Um, (laughs) so yeah, that, that's, that's where we are. And well, Ladies and gentlemen, would passenger John Matson please report to gate 23A? Yep, that's me. Um, so, Jillian, I, I'm going to give you a light one. It's a pretty, it's a pretty easy one. What, or maybe it's not, I don't know. What is on your hit list? Where are the places <laughs> you want to go that oh you haven't gone gosh. yet? I love going places that are changing. Hmm. And so right now, well, frankly, I would really love to go to Iran. Um, I can't because I used to be a reporter and I said some things about Iran once and I had, no joke, uh, an Iranian Secret Service person tagging me for a while. He was like the least intimidating person ever. He was like a foot shorter than me, had this like brick of a cell phone. But it was just like, okay, it would clearly be a bad idea for me to go to Iran until there's serious regime change. So, you know, that's on my like dream um, list. And I think whenever things do change there, it will be changing really rapidly and it'll be really exciting to go. more realistically, I've been involved with an organization called Gaza Sky Geeks for a while, which is running a um, startup accelerator in Gaza. They've done absolutely incredible work. And it's just one of those things that I think is pretty uncontroversial. They're creating um, jobs 
connection, education, employment um, in an area that really needs all of those things. And so I'd really love to go and visit. And I'm hoping maybe depending on how this fall goes, maybe to find some time over the winter to go over there and meet some of the teams. So I've been like a Skype mentor, but it would be really cool to go in person. And I think it's also a pretty inaccessible place. So it would be very interesting to see in person. Great. Well, thank you again, Jillian, for coming out and hanging out with us, talking with us, telling your story. I'd love to hear your final thought for the audience. I would like to say, obviously, first and foremost, download Hitlist. But I think one of the things that's interesting and why I love listening to this podcast um, is that uh, there is so much room for innovation in the travel industry and try something new. So pay attention to what's happening at the fringes, at the pitch competitions, at the hackathons. And um, a lot of them are really good ideas and it takes a really long time um, to break out in this market. Um, And so it's worth kind of giving them more of a chance. And I don't know what that looks like, but um, in terms of funding and how, um, how to encourage innovation in the industry more, um, but anyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, go to Focus Rights Battleground and um, uh, come to the um, Fair Portal hackathons and things like this um, and see what else is out there. Great. I would even uh, plug Voyager HQ as a great stop in there. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sorry. Gross I think you might be a little biased. John. I'm a little biased. Um yeah. Well, awesome. So I know we should all be downloading hit lists, but what uh, would be a good way for those listening to get in touch with you or hit list? You can find hit list on the, the Instagram at hit list app. Um, and on I'm, I'm personally most active on Twitter at Jillian. I am I'm Jillian with a G and then I am at the end. Um, like will I am, but Jillian, <laughs> Uh, except not AM, just I am. Uh, anyway, am. Uh, um, maybe, maybe that goes in the show notes. To make <laughs> is it is that like instant message or is it like, uh, uh well, I am Jillian. It was interesting that it was, uh, in Turkish, when you add I am to the end of a name, it's a sort of endearing thing. Like saying Janum is like, oh, my dear, like my friend. Uh, and so, uh, it was a kind of thing that a friend called me. Um, and so Jillian, um, and then it was also a domain name that was available. And also I liked that the top level domain of I am is Isle of man, um, which (laughs) (laughs) an Isle is an Island, which is a travel destination, which loops all the way back to, right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was, that was stretched, but we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. This is really interesting. And, uh, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Yeah. And that's it for this episode of Travel Is Your Business. Thank you again, Jillian, uh, for coming out and speaking with us. Uh, Definitely download Hitlist and check it out. Uh, For Peter Crisdale. Thanks for listening, everyone. And Mark Rako. Happy trails. I'm John Matson. Bon voyage. And we hope you enjoyed your stay. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. 
Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.